Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. Well, I'm excited to be here today um, because I, God has just been working a message in me um, this whole week. It's been really, really um, difficult. It's been interesting. You know, sometimes you work on something and it's something that God's worked on for, ye- for years and it's something that you, you then share. Um, but this, this, is, uh, this is something that God has been, been just working. And the enemy, it seems like, has been pushing so hard and fighting um, against what we're going to engage in today. Um, but I'm excited because no matter what he tried, um, I'm standing here. And God's going God's gonna to communicate what he needs to communicate. And so we're excited. Yeah, you can clap. That's cool. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's been a crazy day. This morning, uh, my wife was trying to come to church, and, and our car didn't start. And so I, we had to get all our kids up and drive them here so Jess could be here for practice. Um, all two of them. We don't have the, we're, we're not like Brenda. It's not like the Drosts. Um, and then I got here, and I was ready for, to, to preach and pulled up my notes, and my computer just didn't want to start. And so it's, it's interesting. It's fun. But you know, you know the best place to be is in, in a place of dependence on God. Um, and it's really easy to preach that when we're up here and everything is going well. Um, but it's much harder to live it out, right? When we're home, alone, and everything seems to be falling apart. Uh, and so the good news is, is that God, he's faithful, and so, how many of you guys have ever been in a situation where um, you have cycles and you just seem to do the same thing over and over and over? I remember um, this, this started for me in grade two. Um, I had this really cute friend. She was a year older than me. Um, and, and she was really the perfect girl because she was, she was older. Um, we were friends. She liked sports. And that was enough for me. Um, and so uh, she asked me if, she wanted, if I wanted to date her, which in grade two, I had no idea what meant. So I said, yes, of course. Um, the problem was, was that uh, for me, I, I got really awkward after I said yes. And so I just stayed away from her. <laughs> I just, just kind of stayed away. And so she would come or try to call me and I would just not want to be around her because I got so nervous. So she broke up with me. Um, <laughs> So uh, grade three came around and we were friends again. I actually was really glad that she broke up with me because I was like, good, we can talk again. This is great. Um, and so we started, we were hanging out and grade three came around and she asked me to date her again. And I just, you know, yeah, I, I like you and I don't know what it means, but cool, let's, let's date. And, and so I stayed away from her again because that's just what I, my pattern. And so she broke up with me again and grade four came around and yes, she asked me to date her again, and I said yes, and I ran away from her again, and she broke up with me again, and grade five happened, it was the same thing. She broke up with me again, grade six, I know some of you guys are really feeling bad for me right now. I'm okay, I promise. Actually, when she broke up with me, it was like the most freeing thing I ever had in my life. I was like, yes, we can be friends again. Hey, you want to hang out? She probably was like, what is wrong with you? Anyways, um, and then... I'm not lying, she was a year older than me, so it literally lasted until grade seven, 
she would ask me to date. And I just got caught in this cycle. But how many of us, if we're, if we're honest, hopefully not as embarrassing as that, but um, we've all had that happen to us where we're in a cycle. And we just kind of, we do something and then we do the same thing and we hope for different results. Today, I want us to talk about a cycle that I think we all have. And if we're honest, it's really deep in us. And it looks very different depending on who you are. But it, it is there in our lives. And it's the cycle of worth. See, we all want worth. And we look at it and we get it from very different places, but we all have that thing that we find our worth in. And today, I pray that Jesus would shift our worth and we would find it in him. And I know that's really easy, right? Because that's, that's what we're supposed to say when we're in church. Like, God is the right thing. Um, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to, to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to really consider where you find your worth. Just, just take a moment and ask that question and be very honest with yourself. I know, because we're in church, so God's gonna be the right answer. Jesus is gonna get you an A+, plus, a sticker. But, but, but really, let's not just give the right answer. Let's give the answer that our life has spoken. And sometimes what our words say and what our actions say, they're, they're very different. And so what does your life say that you find your worth in? And so, Father, we're here and we're, we're asking that you would do what your word promises, which is cut through marrow and bone to the very core of who we are. Our heart, our desire is to be you, is to be like you, is to follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so... Um, we're going to take a look at a passage that we have all heard. I, I mean, if this is your first time in church or you have, have been here for 50 years, um, we have all heard this, this passage. It's, it's the prodigal son. Uh, it's, it's used even not in church context. Uh, they say the prodigal has come home. It's, it's a, and so the interesting thing is this. Do you know that most accidents happen within five kilometers of your house? And I heard once this great preacher say, this is what we do when we look at passages that we're familiar with. See, the reason why we get in accidents is because we're familiar with the territory and we actually stop focusing on the things that we need to focus on. And so when we look at passages like the prodigal son, you know, sometimes we're, even, even for myself, I, you read it in your daily reading and you're like, oh yeah, I know this one. I'm just gonna scan. And so today, we have to try and engage ourselves into a text that we have, we have probably heard many times and we know, but I believe that God wants us to unpack a truth that can transform our lives. And, I, and I'm not saying that because it is the right thing to say or that's what pastors say. I'm, I'm saying it because it has been working on me all week long. And so let's go ahead and look at Luke 15. I want to give a little bit of context because it's really important for us to understand the picture that we're about to walk into. So here's the picture. Jesus is really popular right now. He is like the thing. And the religious leaders are getting really upset about it. 
And so they actually begin, in chapter 15, they begin to grumble and gossip behind him. And Jesus, being him, he understands where their heart's at. And so he tells three stories to expose their heart. And the first is a parable about lost sheep, a lost sheep that he leaves 99 to go find one. And then he, then he does another one about a lost coin. There's 10, and then he goes, they, they throw the house apart to find the one coin. And then we find the parable of the lost son. So it's interesting. Here, here is what we need to know about parables. Parables are just something that Jesus uses to creatively explain a kingdom principle in a worldly way. And so when he's explaining something, he's explaining a kingdom principle in a worldly way so that people can understand. And you know when he teaches and he says, you know, um, some people won't understand these parables? It's not because they're really hard to understand. It's actually just that Jesus is explaining something and that if you don't care about what Jesus is saying, you're just saying he's telling a, a useless story. And so what is actually good is it, it engages a question, saying, Jesus, explain your story, because you see the disciples. It's not like they're geniuses. It just, he, they ask the question, can you explain the parable? And so here's where we're going to pick it up. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, I'm going to go on my phone, um, not on Instagram, just, just on the U version. Which, uh, if you're looking for a reading plan, YouVersion is a great app. There's, there's, over, there's almost tens of thousands of Bible studies that you can, fo- that you can follow, and it j- it's fantastic. So it's called YouVersion. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start in verse 11. It's going to be on the screen as well if you didn't bring your Bible or don't have a, a smartphone. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, many, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and hugged him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, grab the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his finger and and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. 
The first thing that I want us to notice in this, I, I want us to see three things that we're gonna learn from this son about worth. The first is this, worth cannot come from possessions. Watch what he tries. Okay, in our context, we have a really hard time with, with uh, when we read these, we kind of, we put them in our context. Remember, this is first century Judaism. To go up and ask for your inheritance is an incredibly insulting thing. Something that is actually um, justifiably to is rebellion, and so they could, they could actually stone him to death if, if his father was insulted enough and wanted that justification. But his father submits to him. It, what he's really saying is this. Dad, can you just pretend that you're dead and you just give me what's mine that you worked for? How many dads like that idea? That's fantastic, yeah. Um, and not only that, he then gets his, his portion. The father allows him to do it. He gets his portion, and he could be partners with his father if he wanted to. Just continue as equal partners with his father and, and just feel good about himself, but that's not good enough for this son. This son then takes all that he has. It says that he goes off to a distant land, and he squanders it in wild living. It's interesting. See, we, he is looking for his worth to be found in possessions. He thinks that if I can have what my dad has, the status he has, the money he has, I can live the way I want to live, man, this is going to be where I find my worth, and it's going to be perfect. Can I say something that, that wasn't really taught to me? Can I say that um, I think... For me, the church, the church taught me um, that sin is terrible, and it absolutely is terrible. But it, it didn't tell me that in a moment, sin seems like it's so satisfying, and it's what you want. Can I tell you that sin actually, in the moment, seems great, but costs you so much? And so what this young man, what he finds, the son finds out, is that actually he wanted it and he got it, but then it cost him everything. And everything is pulled out from under him. And it says that he then goes and hires himself out. He is at the bottom. His possessions are none. And he is asking questions. But if we're honest, right? We do similar things, right? We look, we look for, for our meaning and our possessions. I was watching It's a Wonderful Life this, uh, this Christmas. I love that movie. Um, my sisters hate it. They think it's so depressing, but I love it. Um, and I watched as uh, George Bailey just freaks out. You, see that, you know that scene where he comes in and he's just so mad and everything in his house, his daughter's playing the piano and she's not playing it. She just keeps playing the same notes and his house is not what he wished it was. He's not who he wished he was. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, this is kind of you. And I was like, ouch. But literally, my wife would tell you, like, the last couple of weeks, I've just had a really hard time. My, there's this part in the floor that moves, and it's wood floor, and it's not supposed to move, and I'm so mad. And every time, I'm like George Bailey, where I'm like, come on, are you serious? And my kid's singing the same song, and I'm like, do you need to sing? And I'm like, what is going on? 
And it was the Holy Spirit that just said, what, what is enough? What's enough? When is the house big enough, the car new enough? What is, what is your promotion good enough, your salary, whatever? When is it? And isn't that the truth for us? Like we try to find our purpose in these possessions and they leave us empty. We get the newest phone and then there's a newer one. Like the iPhone 8 and then X comes out two weeks later. Come on, that's not right. I have the 8, by the way. <laughs> um, and we see that this, this young man, his possession, possessions let him down. And he's left at rock bottom. And I mean rock bottom. But often we think, you know, the people who have problems with possessions are those who don't have them. <laughs> like nobody's like, oh yeah, my possessions don't give me meaning when you have everything. You're like, yeah, I have everything. I'm awesome. But that's not always true, right? I love this story um, of the Super Bowl champion. He comes back to his hotel after winning the the most important event in his life. And he says that he came back to the room after the party, after the celebration. He's accomplished his greatest feat that he's worked his life for. And he said he had never felt so empty in his life because the thing he thought would bring him the most joy was empty. And what do you do with that? See, Ecclesiastes says this. Um, it, we'll see it on the screen. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? All right, amen. That's good to go home. <laughs> right? Like, I remember I read, this, I read this, uh, this book after I got dumped in, uh, just after high school, and it's not a good book to read right after you're dumped. It's like, what? Um, but the interesting thing is this. King Solomon is thought to write this book and he had everything you could ever want. The wisest man, he's, he's arguably, I looked it up, they say he's the, possibly the second richest man in the history of mankind. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to know his worth because it was so vast. And he writes, it's meaningless. What's the point of it? Because it's, because we see that although he started his life close to God, he actually started to wander. 600 concubines will start doing that to you. But, um, uh, sorry, I thought that was fun. <laughs> um, see, he started to wander from God and he started to question, what is the purpose of things without God? You can have everything, but it means nothing. And so we see this, this son, he's at rock bottom, and he, and he loses everything. So where does his worth come from now? Well, it comes from himself. That's the second point. See, we look to ourselves for our worth. So if we're successful, then I'm a big deal. But if I'm a failure, then man... I really stink. And this is where we find this son. Let's, let's look at this passage. Um, verse 
17 through 19, we see that, that he has really, like again, we gotta look at the context. We're thinking pig farmer, you're hired out to be a farmer, they stink, okay, that's a bad job. This is, again, a Jewish man. Um, pigs are actually unclean, which meant you were separated from your community and separated from your God. You were unclean, and this was his day in and day out. He was separated. He was alone. He was outside of who he was meant to be. This man is at rock bottom. He's working for a Gentile, which wasn't, wasn't what they desired to be. Jewish people wanted freedom. They wanted to be able to work for themselves. He went from being an heir to an inheritance to now being a hired son, who's not only is he feeding pigs, but he's jealous of pigs. I mean, that's gotta be really bad. Like he's jealous of the pig. He's like, I wish I could eat what you eat. And it's in this moment, I mean, how many of us have great, mo great ideas when we hit rock bottom? I mean, some are really bad, but some of us get great mo moments. And this is, this is this young man. He has this amazing moment where he just comes to the understanding of, what am I doing? Yes, I've failed. I'm a complete failure, and, and I'm not worthy to be a son, but my dad has a lot. And maybe I could use some of the leverage of my relationship with my dad, not to be a son, but to say, hey, I could be your servant, and at least I could be fed. It's interesting, right? We, uh, we do this as well. We look to ourselves, and we are defined by our actions. And so if we can't find our purpose in possessions, we look to me and what I'm able to accomplish, and that's where I find my identity. See, it's, it's about how good your week was, how good your sermon is this week to how good my relationship with God is, or, or what's my reading plan like? And if I'm really good with God or, you know, how successful I am at school, the grades I have, the friends I have, all these things we, we put to, our, to a gauge and we say, this is who I am and this is where I find my worth. The problem with that is that what if you do fail? I mean, what if you just come on stage and you just blow it? Does that mean you're a failure? And this is what this son is dealing with. And he actually defines himself as a failure because of what he's done. He goes, I am not worthy to be a son. Look what I have done. What a mess. And how many of us are like that? We look at our lives and we say, here's what my life is to this age. And I am a complete failure. And so we define ourselves as that. But we have a good, good father. And do you know that I was actually looking for a verse that would support the idea that, you know, that we could find self-help um, and we could figure this out and in ourselves? Then there are none. Do you know the Bible is a terrible self-help book? <laughs> it's terrible. Because the idea is not that you find, you find help in yourself. The idea is that we are the sun and we are hanging out with pigs, jealous of them, and the only answer is to run home to our father. 
This is our final point. His worth solely comes from his father. Do you know the main star of this entire parable? It's not the son, although he is in most of the conversation. It's actually the father. Do you know the worth of this son? Everything comes from the father. Do you know what the son did to get all that he has? He was able to be born into the family, which actually is just a joke because you don't get to choose your family, which we all know because we just came off the holidays, right? (laughs) Hi, Mom. See, the truth of this story is this, that his worth his inheritance, didn't come from anything that he did. It came from everything that his father was. And this is our truth. Our absolute value, our worth, doesn't come from what we accomplish or what we possess. I'm not saying possessions are wrong or you shouldn't try to do well. I'm saying we can't find our worth in that because those things can fall through. But our worth is found in God alone. In God, he is our father, and he is the one who finds our worth. We're, we find our worth in him. And when we do that, man, then we're free. Because then your success doesn't dictate who you are. And if you fail, it's not based on your, who, your worth. You're not gonna be destroyed by it. You just come out and you stand on stage. And I can tell you that the devil has been working on me and this for this week so hard. And I had to remind myself that my worth is not dependent on what is communicated, but my worth is dependent on who my father is, on who God is. And the truth for you is this that your worth is not about the grade you have or the friends you do or don't have or how people treat you. The truth of your value comes from your father. And watch this. Watch what happens to the son. He comes home in this parable. Again, remember, this is a parable is to, to compare physical with a kingdom principle. And here's what the father does. It says that as the son is walking home, He is waiting, watching. It says that he sees him from a distance. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. And then it says that he runs to him. And I get it, right? Like for us, a lot of our parents run. Tons of people run. I mean, my dad, he ran a ton. He actually loved the 80s, and so he dressed a lot like the 80s when I was a kid. Um, One time he came to a soccer game, um, and he was wearing running shorts that were shorter than his shirt. It was not a good event for me. Everybody asked me if my dad was wearing shorts, which was totally embarrassing. But, right, like running makes sense to us. Every, like a lot of people run, but that wasn't the culture. You need to understand that that was a sign of, of lower, um, younger, poorer people. The status of a wealthy Jewish man was that he didn't really have to do much because he was able to have everything brought to him. So for him to run, he says, I don't really care if everybody sees me running and it's a sign of maybe um, a, a lack of what I have. It's not important to me. What's important to me is my son is home. 
Then it says that he hugs him. He runs, he embraces him, and he kisses him. That is a, that's, that's a sign that you do to a son or a child that has been off, and you are welcoming them home. Then it says that the son, he goes into his whole thing, right? Like, I better say it now before he starts just tearing me apart. I'm just going to go ahead. I, I'm not worthy to be here. And it's like the dad doesn't even hear him. He just doesn't even acknowledge. He actually turns to his servant and says, get a robe. And do you know that a robe is actually a sign of worth? It's actually a sign of worth. And then he says, here's a ring. And do you know this, the ring is actually a sign of authority? Do you know it's equal to power of eternity? And so he has the right to make decisions, meaning if he has the ring, he can make decisions for his dad. He's given this son that. Then it says, give him shoes. Do you know shoes are the, defining, the definer between free and slaves? Slaves didn't wear shoes. Then it says, let's throw a party. Again, this is a welcome home. You don't welcome home someone who's pretty much slapped you in your face and said, hey, by the way, you're dead to me. I'm going to keep moving on. But this dad does. Not only does he do that, but he kills the fattened calf. Now that to us is like, cool, we're having steak. But actually, this is a significant event in the Eastern culture. They keep a fattened calf so that if there's a special person or a special occasion that happens, they have it ready for a party. And this father says, this moment, this is what I've been waiting for. You are home, we're throwing a party and we're celebrating because my son was lost and now is found. All of this is to say, son, you see yourself as a failure, but I need you to know that I see you as a son. You are reinstated to who you were. And it has nothing to do with your possessions and it has nothing to do with yourself and everything to do with me. This is the message that God wants us to understand. Your worth is not dependent on what we have. It's solely dependent on who God is and the fact that we come back to him. So if you're here and this is your first time in church and you're far from God, there's good news. You just need to come home. And God is waiting for you. And he has your value. No failure can hold you back. He loves you. And then if you're here and you have grown up in the church and you know this to be true, I need you to know that you don't need to do anything. Think of the story of Mary and Martha, right? Martha works hard. She's doing all these things. Jesus comes over and Mary just sits at his feet. Martha gets upset. And, Mary, and Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. Because Jesus just wants us to be near him, not just to do things for him. And Christians, we're really good at doing things for God, right? But not necessarily being close to him. And so today, I want to challenge you to be close to God. But have you ever been in a place where, you know, it makes sense and you see it on the page, but you go home and you say, I don't, I, I believe it, I want, to, I want to live it out, but I don't know how to act. I don't know how to apply this truth. And I want my worth. I mean, who of us doesn't want our, our worth to be rooted in something that never changes, but actually we root it in something that's always changing? 
Like none of us would be like, yeah, that's a great option. But we do it, right? And it's not like I'm, what I'm telling you is, is this revelation that no one's ever said before. But I believe that there's something that God has shown me and us that will shift this in our lives. And there's one application that we can do that will transform our lives. The application is this, worship. Worship. Can I tell you that worship, it shifts our mentality. It shifts our focus. We begin to stop looking at the things around us that define us and we look at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we say, you are who you say you are regardless of this, regardless of my possessions being lost, regardless of my failures, regardless of my successes. I am not defined by these things. I am defined by you because you are who you say you are. And here's the beauty of it. When we put the worth that God has, I mean, this is worship. Worship is putting worth back where it should be. And God is the one who deserves all the worth, all the worship, all the praise. And when we do that, here's, here's a kingdom principle. When we put him where he should be, our worth begins to shift. Not because it's some sort of like Disney moment, like where you become, go from a frog to a prince. It's, it's actually because there's a kingdom principle. When you put God where he should be, you put yourself under him and he begins to lead you and guide you and give you understanding of what your worth is. So here's how I'd like to end today. The truth is I, I, I don't know all your situations. And even if I do, I don't know the answer to them. Jesus does. And so I wonder if we could just finish worshiping God. Because if you're like me, this cycle of worth has to break because it's tiring. It's tiring to try to figure out how to be a good enough dad for my kids. I sometimes lay in bed and go, how am I a father? I'm still 18. I promise I am. that it's not dependent on my worth or my, my accolades or how hard I can work or what I can do, but it's dependent on my dependence on God and His goodness. And the truth is this, is that Jesus, God is happy. He's not angry. He's in a good mood. He is the good Father. In this parable, we are the Son and He is the Father. So I wonder if we could just stand to our feet and we could just give God the worth that he is owed and just lay down what your, what your situation is, mountaintop or valley, worst that you've ever experienced or best. And we just lay it down and say, God, in this house, here's what we're going to do. We're not focusing on what's going on around us. We are focusing on you and your throne and your worth. And we're going to give you praise regardless of our situation. And in that moment, we will begin to see our understanding of our worth shift. And we will begin to see ourselves being able to walk out in the goodness of God, the goodness of God, which will transform us when we understand, when we understand, 
understand how good God is, we won't be afraid to step out in faith. We won't be afraid to step out on the boat because we will know that our God, He is good. He's not going to fail us. He's faithful. When we run home and we have failed, He is going to be there waiting, watching, embracing, and putting us back to the place where we belong because He, God, is good. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately. 